Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. As dark fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night, but the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. It was the first alignment problem. Let's get out of here. Away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted, the Lord, watch this, the the Egyptians declared, the Lord, the God of the Israelite people, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. I think that the Egyptians had a better perspective, a more correct perspective of who God is, the Lord is, than maybe the Israelites When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hands over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, and all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Just kind of a side thought here. If these genius theologians who think that they crossed over here in a creek bed, because they're trying to downplay the opening of the Red Sea, if, if they did cross over here, and God dried out a mud puddle for the children of Israel to cross over. Then the second part of the story is God drowned an entire Egyptian army in a mud puddle. That's good. One way or the other, God's doing some incredible stuff here. Things, God is doing some things outside of the parameters of physics as we know them. You okay? Well, Brant, we understand miracles. No, sometimes we don't. We downplay that God is a miracle-working God. So uh, whenever it comes to our salvation, we're like, well, I'm just not sure he can do that. Dude, if he can part the waters of the Red Sea, he can, he can save you. If he can drown the Egyptian army in a mud puddle, he can save you. He's a miracle-working God. That's why we're in this text. Verse 29. But the people of Israel had worked through the mid- had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like water on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. 
And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians wash up on this on the mud puddle. On the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I mean, it was just a few verses ago, they're all, Moses, you've led us out here to die. You're no good for nothing and God can't save an ant. And now they're all, oh, God is wonderful. We've seen him do something miraculous. We know that he is the God above all God. He's Yahweh. He's El Shaddai. He's Elohim. This is it. Israel, we're free from slavery. Yay, God. Yay, Moses. Now let's go to the the promised land. Let's go back to the land of Canaan. We'll conquer the land and all is good. So let's go. Let's go this direction. Instead, Instead, God leads them on a little trek. I got to figure out where I'm at. They cross the Red Sea. We don't know exactly where. They cross the Red Sea and they go south. Again, we have this navigation problem that God has. God just has a navigation problem. He never knows where he's supposed to be leading us. Uh, (laughs) You ever seen the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? There's the problem. If God is your co-pilot, then then you should get out of his seat. Uh, So they're going south again. Canaan is north. They're going south. There's a problem. God is leading them south. He is leading them out into the middle of the desert, out into the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. This is the Sinai Peninsula, right down there to the symbols. It goes, the Sinai Peninsula, desert, wilderness, nothing out there, no food, no water. No more physical slavery. Where is God leading us? No more physical slavery. No more physical slavery. God is leading us to where he's taking us to teach us some things. But God, there's no water and no food out here. But there's no physical slavery. But God, no water and no food. There's no, I mean, you had two and a half million people. We have to stop and use the bathroom every once in a while. We need a 7-Eleven every once in a while so we can get a big gulp. God, hello, hello. This, there's roads up here. There's no roads down here. God, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. And God's saying, there's no physical slavery. We would rather have physical slavery and some garlic and some onions. I like garlic. I'm not going to complain, but I like it with green chili. Hallelujah. We had men's breakfast yesterday. And we've gotten in the habit of uh, one of the guys makes green chili sauce and red chili sauce. Whoa, hallelujah. If you're not a part of the men's ministry. (laughs) So we're going, there's no physical slavery. No water, no food, but no physical slavery. That gets us to number two, spiritual slavery. Just because Israel is free from slavery in Egypt does not mean that they are spiritually free free. I need you to think about that for a second. Just because Israel is free from slavery in Egypt does not mean they are spiritually free. My throat is scratchy today. I brought water 
And in an emergency, I have a cough drop, but you got to watch out for the cough drops, don't you, Gene? <laughs> Sometimes they don't stay in my mouth. <clears throat> Just because Israel is free from slavery in Egypt does not mean that they are spiritually free. Well, it, it doesn't. I mean, it seems like it should, that if we're physically free, then we're kind of spiritually free. That's kind of how we think about it in our lives. We think in terms of when life is left, when your life is less oppressive, then you start thinking, I'm free. When money is more available, I'm free. You pay off a bill and you're like, oh, I'm free. No, you're not. You get a little raise. You're like, oh, we're free. No, you're not. Because if you're like me, you get a 5% raise, you spend 12% more. That reminds me, tithe went up to 12% this week instead of 10, inflation. So 10%, 12% now, okay? I'm just being serious. <laughs> I'm kidding. We think in terms of when life is less oppressive, then there's more freedom. When our family's all getting along, oh, God and I are close. When we have the right house, oh, we come and worship. When we buy the right car, when we get the right spouse, then we'll experience freedom. If we could just get the right material things in the right positions in our lives, then there would be freedom. If we, can, if we can just get away from the bondage of this world, then we'll have freedom. That is not God's plan for salvation at all. God's plan for salvation has a glorious destination. It's not just about freedom from physical slavery. It is about deliverance to the promised land, to something greater than we could ever ask or imagine. In uh, Exodus chapter 19, uh, the, the title of this passage, it says, the Lord reveals himself at Sinai. And again, I'm reading this because it's really good text. And so I'm going to read a lot. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, so we're only two months into this, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness, of, the wilderness of Sinai and they set up camp at the base of Mount Sinai. So Rephidim is right here. This is where God, for the first time, provides water from a rock. Water from a rock. We see miracle after miracle after miracle that defy physics. Thus, they're miracles. God says, Moses, we got to give water to two and a half million people. So just smack that rock and water's going to come out of it. Enough for two and a half million people. And Moses goes, all right, smack. Or he's, I think he speaks, he's, he smacks the rock the first time. And water comes flowing out of a rock. Verse three, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. Are you picturing this? Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob, all the descendants of Jacob to Israel. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Verse four, you have, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There's a picture there. We need to grab a hold of that. 
You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Because Israel was kicking and screaming the whole way. Do you remember that? We don't want to go. We want to go back to Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here to die? And God's like, shut up and just keep on coming. You're going to be fine. Verse five, now if you will obey me and keep my command, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on the earth for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together. All the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Anything he says, we'll do because he's great and mighty. He's Yahweh. He's Elohim. He is so great. We'll do anything that he commands. So Moses brought the people's answer back to to the Lord. Moses goes to the top of the mountain and says, hey God, they say yes. Verse nine, then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses. So the people themselves, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they will always trust you, Moses. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And when the Lord told Moses, uh, then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. That seems reasonable. Concentrate, consecrate them to today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing because they're getting a little smelly. We're two months into this trip. Verse 11, be sure they are ready on the third day for on that day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Now, this is why I think that there's this really great, really thick analogy. Is thick the right word? Rich analogy between the Old Testament story and what's happening here and, and the deliverance story of the New Testament. Because there's something happening on the third day. God is showing up on the third day. God is coming down on the third day. So verse 12, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up the, on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand can touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. Wow, that's graphic. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast. Can you think of any other horns blowing in the New Testament? When there's, a long, when there's a ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. Can't camp out there. We got to keep moving because we have teachers with a bunch of kids back there. Verse 14, so Moses went down to the people. He con uh, consecrated them for worship and they washed their clothes. Hallelujah. He told them, get ready for the third day and until then abstain from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from the ram's horns and all the people trembled. Why? Because they are in the presence of an awesome and terrifying God. They trembled. There is a degree of fear. 
Verse 17, Moses led them out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of a fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a thick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Again, we do theology from the Old Testament. Who is God? He sets a boundary. You do not cross that boundary. But Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up the mountain, up to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy, to set it apart as holy. This, this space is for God. Verse 24, but the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priest or the people break through to approach the Lord or he will break out and destroy them. This is like the third time that God is warning Moses, warn the people. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. So right here, right here, I know I lost Sinai in my map. I didn't realize they didn't work that well. But right here's the flag. We have this place, we have this location on our little globe, Mount Sinai, where God comes down, the creator of heaven and earth comes down and meets with Moses and gives him the Old Testament law. It's incredible. Now, we're, most of us are familiar with Exodus 20. God gives us the Ten Commandments. That's usually what we think of whenever Moses is on the mountain. But God actually gives him the Ten Commandments plus all of the chapters up to chapter 32, which I will read in detail. No, I'm kidding, I won't. I'm not gonna read all 12 chapters. 12 chapters of law. 12 chapters of law, that's a lot, a lot of law. So what happens is the children of Israel get tired of waiting. Moses has been up there for a few days now. Is he coming down? What has happened? Now, these are the people who have miraculously been delivered by God from slavery. God miraculously provided food and water for them in the desert already. And now, after a whopping 12 chapters of Moses being gone up the mountain where they can actually see the cloud of smoke, they can hear the thunder of God, they know that there's a meeting between God and Moses happening, but waiting on God is taking too long. You know, the previous chapter, we'll do anything that the Lord tells us to do, except for wait. We're not going to wait. We're not going to wait on God. So instead of waiting, Aaron starts collecting their gold. He collects the jewelry, the gold jewelry, and he throws it aimlessly into the fire. And if you know the story, after he throws it into the fire, he tells Moses later, out popped a golden calf. It just came out of the fire. I don't know. And since the golden calf came out of the fire, we just thought we would bow down and worship the golden calf. Wow. Wow. Now, I do not say this as though I am immune to it. But here's the fact. 
Slavery to sin, spiritual slavery, is slavery to stupidity. You okay? Brent, we don't use that word at our house. Well, you should. (laughs) Slavery to sin is slavery to stupidity. God show he doesn't god does not say i am god god comes to israel and he shows them over and over that he is god and he promises them his blessings and his grace and his provision and then the children of israel deny the lord for a golden calf who just popped out of the fire because they were tired of waiting When you're enslaved to sin, you will be ridiculously irrational, stupid. Now, maybe maybe that was an isolated incident. Maybe that doesn't characterize Israel. So let's look on to see if that happens, uh, see what happens with the rest of the story. After Moses receives the law uh, from Mount Sinai the second time, God leads them up, uh, he leads Israel to Kadesh Barnea. He leads them up here. So down here, we have Mount Sinai. He's gonna lead them up here to Kadesh Barnea. Now, some of you are Bible scholars and you know that sometimes this is pronounced Kadesh Barnea. Either is acceptable. So if you feel the need to correct me, don't. Uh, So they have, they get the law of Moses. Y'all all all right? (laughs) First service laughed at that. Um, We're getting too close to dinner time. We're past time. So they they get the law of Moses. Now they're headed up here. We're headed north. Now, if you're paying attention to the map, this this is Canaan. This is the promised land. We are headed in the right way. This should be good. We have two and a half million people who are simultaneously saying to Moses, how much further? That gets us to Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. I really am coming in for a landing. I'm gonna finish this up right after this story. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. So this seems like good because they're, they're, uh, none of the descendants of Abraham for 400 years have been in the promised land. So they don't know anything about it. So the plan to send scouts in Uh, see what's going on, make a plan, that makes sense, right? So watch what happens. Verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. He said, go north through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak or few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do the towns have walls? Are they unprotected like, uh, like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do, the, do, your, do your best to bring back some samples of the crops that you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So when they went, so they went up and they explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehab uh, near uh, 
Lebo Hamath. So they went all the way up here. Now I know if, if you're raised in church, maybe you had kind of an idea like I did. I'm thinking they're, in, they're here in Kadesh Barnea and they just kind of uh, one night hopped the fence and they peeked around and then they came back real fast. They're gone for 40 days. They go through the length of the promised land, checking it out, scouting it all out. Verse 23, when they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two men to carry them on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelite men brought back. Now here's the scouting report, verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. So Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, they reported to the whole community that what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it indeed is a bountiful country. Country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites uh, live in the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites. They live in the hill country and the Canaanites. They live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, he tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who, stood, who, who had explored the land with him, they disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they, so they spread their bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. That's, that's how it's written in the text. You, you to, huge. We saw, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too, because we could read their minds. They thought we were grasshoppers. I read this and I get frustrated because I see it. It happens to us. It happens to me. God comes along and he says, here I am, El Shaddai, God Almighty. He says, here I am, your savior. He says, here is the land I promised to your ancestor Abraham. Here is the glorious salvation by grace that I give to you, I just hold out to you. All you must do is walk in and take what God has said he has provided for you. But we don't. God says, here is what is glorious. I've provided it for you. And we go, well, it's too much. It's too good. It's maybe too good to be true. 
It defies our sense of goodness or fairness or independence. I feel like I should have to do something to earn. I should have to kill some giants to earn the promise of salvation that God is. It's too, too difficult. And maybe it's even, you know, I'm a bad sinner and I've done some horrible things. So maybe, maybe this giant of sin in my life is too big for even God to overcome. Brent, you talk about salvation by grace, but you don't know how bad I am. I don't know that God can overcome these giants. So I'm not gonna go into the promised land. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna walk into the salvation that God has provided. So we don't. The children of Israel were free from their physical slavery, but they were still slaves to sin. They still were spiritually in slavery. Now they need deliverance. Now they need spiritual freedom. There is freedom that the laws of physics does not apply to. There is freedom that only comes by faith, freedom to believe that God can set you and I free from slavery to sin and into his glorious salvation. Freedom to believe that those Jesus sets free are free indeed. God has been planning your spiritual freedom even before the Red Sea and Mount Sinai. From the mountaintop, God has provided for your spiritual freedom, not from Mount Sinai and the law of Moses, but from Mount Calvary through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has been planning for your spiritual freedom. So my challenge to you is where, where are you? Are you trapped in physical slavery? Are you trapped in the materialism of this world and the idols of this world that control your life and your thoughts and your decisions, your desires? Are you free from some physical things but not yet spiritually free? Because I actually think a lot of people in the church fall in this category of we're free from the entanglements of this world but we're not really ready to embrace the glory of God's promise. Or the third place to be is have you put your faith in Jesus? surrendered yourself to him so that whenever he says, hey, we're gonna go south to the promised land, we say, Lord, I'm just gonna follow you. So if you lead me across the Red Sea, I'll follow you. If you lead me into the desert for a drink of water, I'll follow you. If you lead my family in a direction that doesn't make sense to me here in these physics, I will follow you. I will follow you into something greater than I could ever ask or imagine. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.